Now, there are a number of ways we could describe our relationship to God. And we could describe our relationship to God in two categories, that of being in nature or by nature, we have a certain relationship to God. And then by grace, we have a certain relationship to God. By nature, we would say that God is our creator. It's the most basic thing and most fundamental thing that we can say. We talked about that in both Sunday school and in this morning's message, that we are creatures. And therefore, we have a creature-creator relationship with God. He is our creator. Uh, J.I. Packer said, we as creatures are absolutely dependent upon him and that he, as creator, has an absolute claim on us. And all men, by nature, have this relationship with God, whether they acknowledge it or not. He is their creator and he is their sustainer. He not only made us, but He takes care of us, every one of us. And by nature, He is also our judge. And being sinners, we are under His condemnation and wrath. Even even if we're outside of Christ, we are are already condemned, Jesus said. Uh, But by grace, everything has changed. He is still our Creator, but He is no longer our judge. He's no longer our judge who condemns us, but He is our God and Savior who has rescued us. And by grace, our relationship has been radically changed. While He's still our Creator and Sustainer, He's no longer our judge, but He has saved us. And therefore, we are saved sinners. We are justified sinners. We have been declared righteous by God Himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. There are other ways which we could uh, describe this relationship. Uh, we could say that we are his purchased possession. We have been bought with a price. We belong to him. He owns us. We are his. But also, as Paul does, we could describe ourselves in a servant-master relationship. A servant-master. That's one of the Apostle Paul's favorite descriptions of himself, that he was a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we don't like the idea of slavery, but he he relished in that. He reveled in that, that he was a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, the Bible describes him by grace being our shepherd, and we are therefore his sheep, the sheep of his pasture. And so uh, those are very important ways. But there's another Very important way, uh, an important biblical term that's used to describe a a man's relationship or a woman or a child's relationship to God in Christ. In fact, Sinclair Ferguson calls this not only one way, but he says it's the most fundamental way for a Christian to think about himself or herself in Christ. And it's the relationship that Paul talks about in several places, but he talks about it here especially in Ephesians chapter 1, and he calls it the relationship of adoption, that we are his child, that we experience this relationship to God of a child to his or her father. And that's a very important thing. Uh, Mr. Ferguson goes on to say that this lies at the heart 
of understanding the whole of the Christian life and of all the diverse elements in our daily experience. And I want you to notice how Paul addresses this when he gives this great doxology here in Ephesians chapter 1. He begins this doxology or this hymn of praise to God. And he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That's another way we could describe ourselves. We are his elect. He is the one who chose and we are the chosen. But he goes on now to say in verse 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the Beloved. And so here in this beautiful, wonderful doxology, he enumerates many of the blessings of salvation, but there at the very beginning, he introduces this concept of adoption as sons. He says that God predestined us to this great privilege. That means this was God's plan from eternity. When God predestines something, He he predetermines it. Whatever God predetermines, it comes to pass. And so, if you're a child of God, it's because He predestined it to happen. Now, when we stop and look at this whole matter of adoption, I want us to first touch on the the, the general concept of adoption, and then I want to deal with what our confession calls the grace of adoption. I think that's a beautiful way to put it because it is all of grace. But the general idea of, of adoption is this. It's to take or receive as one's own child that which is not so naturally. It's the act of taking by choice into a relationship specifically to take voluntarily as one's own child. Adoption, of course, is a legal term that indicates a change of status and relationship. And there are only two ways in which a person is a member of a particular family. He's either a member by birth, natural member, or he is legally by adoption. Now, the theological concept, I believe John Owen states it very succinctly, Uh, John Owen was a Puritan writer, uh, but he states here that adoption is the authoritative translation of a believer by Jesus Christ from the family of the world and Satan into the family of God with his investiture in all the privileges and advantages of that family. And so we see that it's an authoritative translation, translation from from one family to another. And so he's recognizing that even spiritual adoption is a legal act whereby a person who was not a natural child is received into God's family and now has the rights and privileges of sonship. That's the natural the nature of adoption. But now let's look at the uh, the grace of adoption as our confession calls it. And grace is an appropriate term here in Ephesians chapter 1. That's The focus is upon God's pure 
unadulterated grace. Uh, salvation in every aspect is all of grace. Not only in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm, we could ask the question, what do you have that you have not received? That is received as a gift from God. It's all of grace. And therefore, God is the one who receives all of the glory. And that's what we see here in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Adoption, being brought into God's family, is an act of pure grace. We see this so when we, when we consider our former position, what we were prior to adoption. And a liberal theology and liberalism has always taught what's called the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. That's a, a very catchy term, the fatherhood of God. He's the father of all, and we are all therefore brothers and sisters in Christ because we all have the same father, God. Now, is that true, the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man? Well, there is a certain sense in which is true that God is our Father in that He is our Creator. He brought us into being. And we have this relationship with our fellow man. But it's utterly false in the sense by which we, by which we mean it here of adoption into God's family. Uh, it, that's not at all what the Word of God teaches. The God's Word teaches us that we are brought into His family by grace. Not by nature, but by grace. I know a lot of people, when they hear that, they think, well, who do you think you are? You're saying you're a child of God and I'm not a child of God? That sounds awfully arrogant. Until we understand that we were all in the same condition as the others. As Paul goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, we were all by nature... Children of wrath, just as the rest. When God found us in His grace, we were just like the others. We were all dead in our trespasses and sins. We were all walking together, uh, walking according to the course of this world and so forth. We were all children of the devil. That's pretty strong. But none other than the Lord Jesus Christ called sons of Adam, sons of the devil. He said this around, he said this to the religious Pharisees in John chapter 8 verse 44, you are of your father the devil. I remember one of the first times I was witnessing to someone and, and I, I made this point that we're all children of the devil by birth. And they were so offended. They laughed. They thought that was the funniest thing they'd ever heard. But that's a true statement. You're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. John in 1 John speaks of, of marks by which a child of God is known and by which a child of the devil is known. And so you're either one or the other. You can't find yourself in a no man's land here. You're either a member of the devil's family or the member of God's family. You're either of the world or you're not of the world. There's only two categories. And so it's by pure grace, the pure grace of God, that we are brought into this new relationship of a child to their father. It's not a matter of works. It's not a matter of we're better than anyone else. We're all in the same boat. 
but God in His grace predestined us to adoption as sons. We didn't predestine ourselves. He did. This was His choosing. He is the Creator. He has the right to do whatever He wants with the with one lump of clay. He can make one lump a certain vessel of honor and another to dishonor. But God is the one who does it. It's not us. We didn't make ourselves ready or good for this. Not at all. It was all by grace. We'll turn there in a moment, but in 1 John chapter 3, John there speaks of this adoption and he says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And such we are. What a, what a blessing. He's astounded by it. What manner of love. It literally means of what country. Where did this come from? This kind of love that would adopt us into the very family of God. It's a great privilege. Someone said our adoption is the highest expression even of God's love that He would adopt us into the very family of God. What a great and awesome privilege it is to be loved by God and there to be shown this love by being brought into His family. Now, there was nothing lacking in God that moved Him to adopt us. And by that I mean He didn't adopt us because He wanted to have something that he never had before. Uh, he had a family. Well, he had a family and he was perfectly happy. It was the Trinity. The Son dwelt forever in the bosom of the Father. It was an intimate, close relationship, a satisfying relationship. God doesn't need anything. He didn't need to adopt children. There wasn't anything in God that moved him to adopt us. And there was nothing special in us to move Him to so love us and to bring us into His family. Charles Spurgeon talks of this and he says, a man when he adopts a child sometimes is moved thereto by its, the child's extraordinary beauty or at other times by its intelligent manners or winning disposition. But beloved, when God passed by the field in which we were lying, He saw no tears in our eyes till He put them there Himself. He saw no contrition in us until He had given us repentance. There was no beauty in us that could induce Him to adopt us. On the contrary, we were in everything that was repulsive. And if He had said when He passed by, you are cursed, be lost forever, it would have been nothing but what we might have expected from a God who had been so long provoked whose majesty had been so terribly insulted, but no, he found a rebellious child, a, a filthy, frightful, ugly child. <laughs> he took him into his bosom and said, Black as you are, you are comely in my eyes through my son Jesus. Unworthy though you are, I cover you with his robe. And in your brother's garments, I accept you. And taking us all unholy and unclean, just as we were, He took us to be His, His children forever. What an amazing thing. We don't have anything to boast in. So the person that says, who do you think you are? We answer, we were nothing. We were unworthy of the least of His mercies. And He's crowned us with the greatest mercies in bringing us into His family. 
chapter 1, verse 6 tells us that it was all according to the kind intention of His will. In other words, it was all of grace. Grace means unmerited favor. And we would even go further and say it's the opposite of what we deserve. We deserved hell. It's not that we just didn't deserve anything. We deserved the very opposite. We were children of the devil. We deserved to go where the devil and the angels are, to the place that's prepared for the devil and his angels. Grace means unmerited favor. And in this, we're speaking of the worthless, vile, defiled creature receiving the highest of all favors and honor. That's why John says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, he says that we should be called the children of God. We. That is, we, the guilty, the depraved, the defiled, the rebellious, born in sin in nature's night, children of wrath, even as the rest. That we should be called the children of God. Was there ever a higher, more noble calling in all the world? It would have been the act of infinite kindness and mercy for God to have made us like one of his hired servants. You remember, that's what the prodigal son said. I'll go and I'll say to my father, Father, I've sinned against you. I, I no longer am worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he goes to his father and his father calls the servant and says, bring the robe, bring the ring, bring the sandals, prepare the feast. God takes us into the number and gives us all the rights and privileges of the Son of God. John Owen said, under this family of themselves, they have no right nor title to this. They are wholly alienated from it and can lay no claim to anything in it. God driving fallen Adam out of the garden and shutting up all the ways of return with a flaming sword ready to cut him off if he should attempt it abundantly declares that he and all in him had lost all right of approaching unto God in any family relation. Adam forfeited that right. And by our own wickedness, we have said amen to that. The blessings of adoption, that's a great blessing, the greatest we could enjoy. It's the apex of God's blessing. Even greater, we could say, than forgiveness and justification, though all of those are still there. It's not you take one or, or the other. We take them all. But it just seems to heap on blessing upon blessing. Here we were, guilty before the court of our judge. Can you imagine a judge not only pardoning a criminal who had already been justly condemned to die, but bringing him home and by a legal act adopting him as his own son and giving him the right and privilege to, of sonship. You've never heard of something like this, have you? Well, there is an illustration in the Old Testament of this with David and Saul's grandson, Mephibosheth. And if you turn over to Second Samuel chapter 9, we'll look at that for just a moment. <clears throat> Second Samuel chapter 9. After David had defeated Saul and uh, 
Saul is dead and Jonathan is dead. Uh, it was common in that day for a new king to put to death the conquered ruler's male descendants. Uh, those who might be seen as a potential rival. We even hear of that in, in countries in our own day, don't we? Uh, David, though, in verse 1, inquires, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? You know, the relationship between David and Jonathan, that close, intimate relationship. And he wants to show Jonathan's son kindness. Uh, well, David inquires, isn't he? But he, he inquires not that he would destroy him, but that he would show kindness and compassion to him. And one thing I'd point out here is that we see that it's David who took the initiative. Mephibosheth didn't come to him appealing for mercy and throws himself at the mercy of the court. No, it was David who wants to show him kindness. And he was told that there was one left, Mephibosheth the crippled grandson of Saul and the son of Jonathan. And so David, having taken the initiative, summons him. He's brought before the king. Uh, No doubt Mephibosheth came with some trepidation, uh, fearing for his life. And and so uh, it says in in verse verse 5, And the king David sent and brought him out of the house, of Machir and, and the son of Amiel uh, from Lodavar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. And then David said, Mephibosheth? And there's a question mark here. It's not in the original, but there's a question mark. Some say he said it with compassion and tenderness. Uh, we don't know. But he answered, Here is your servant. And so David said to him, Do not fear. For I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. And so what a, what a wonderful thing. He's, he's going to shower blessings upon him. Not that he necessarily deserved, but he deserved them more than we deserve the blessing of adoption, didn't don't we? We we deserve that far less than Mephibosheth did. And then the king told him, "Ye shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons." In verse eight, Mephibosheth bowed himself and said, "What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I?" I mean, dogs don't belong sitting at the table; they belong under the table. And dead dogs, uh, someone said, belong in the ditch. But he puts him at the table. What a blessing. God, who is rich in mercy with his great love with which he loved us. He showered these blessings upon us. Blessing after blessing. And the greatest blessing of all, the blessing of adoption. William J. gives us three things. I'll just uh, read off parts of these. But he he said, uh, first of all, uh, that we ought not to dwell so much on the ordinary bounties of his providence. Uh, and, and uh, but we ought to think so much of these blessings, these spiritual blessings. And we ought to think, he wasn't saying we don't ever think, we should think of any blessing, all blessings, the blessings that we said of using our limbs, of the air we breathe. Those are blessings, rich blessings of God. 
But here we're talking about the greatest blessings of all. What a great blessing it is. Has he not sought and saved our souls? Mr. J says, has he not restored our forfeited inheritance? Has he not given us a name and a place in his house that we may eat and drink at his table and in his kingdom? Oh, what a great blessing that is. But also, he goes on to say, are there not blessings he has conferred upon us infinitely greater than those Mephibosheth received from David? It might seem an immense thing to a worldly mind to be fetched out of a distant obscurity and enriched with royal dements and allow to be allowed to live at a splendid court. But Mephibosheth perhaps was not even so happy as before. And for whatever purpose he valued his elevation, he soon left it and found that he had set his eyes on that which is not. In other words, these were physical blessings. They were good for him. But any physical blessing, any earthly blessing goes by the wayside sooner or later. Either they disappear or we disappear. Either they grow old or we grow tired of them. Or whatever it is, those things uh, grow dim. Those things devalue in time. But the blessings we receive never grow dim. They never get worn out. In fact, as that hymn by Rutherford we sing, the streams on earth I've tasted, more deep I'll drink above. What we enjoy right now, it only gets better. And even in this life, if you're troubled by many difficulties and trials, those will someday wash away. And the Apostle Paul said, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And what was he talking about? He was talking about the revelation of the sons of God. When God on the last day owns us before the entire universe to be His own blood-bought children. What a blessing. And then thirdly, is how much less reason had we to look for such favors from God than Mephibosheth had to expect from bestowing bestowments from David. He was David's fellow creature and had, had, had a claim founded in, in the community of nature. He was the son of an intimate friend, Jonathan, to whom he was under obligation. He was always a relation, being the child of his brother-in-law. Though a sufferer, he was innocent and had always conducted himself properly towards David. But, oh, what about we? <laughs> What is man that you are mindful of him, he asks, and the son of man that you visit him? We were strangers and enemies by wicked works, unworthy of the least of his mercies, deserving his wrath that should come upon us as the children of disobedience. Oh, we have much, much more reasons to be grateful, to be thankful for this great, great privilege. And so we have this wonderful privilege and we ought never to forget it. And even as we come to the Lord in prayer, we are coming not as servants, but as sons. Uh, We are part of God's own family. He is our Father. Jesus taught us to pray in this very way. Our Father, which art in heaven. All men can't say that. Only those whom God has saved through the death of His Son. Only those whom He's granted faith and repentance who have turned and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, only they 
have the right to become the children of God. As many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become the children of God. And such we are. And what a blessing that is. And may God help us to remember all our days who we are. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we're children of God. And we ought to conduct ourselves as His children. Let's pray.